a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Welcome to this episode. Now, Nat, you've been busy writing again. I have trouble keeping track of you sometimes. At the moment, you've been in Hawaii, America, writing books, publishing books on Amazon and all over the place. What a delight that's been. (laughs) Truthfully, that's been fun. No, well, I like the writing part. Just Mm. the whole logistics of all of that has been a little bit of a headache. Well, that's life, isn't it? In this technological, I can't even say the word, technologically challenging world we live in, things aren't as easy as they ought to be, I think. No, they're not. But we felt called to write this new book and actually it's going to be a series of small books all around women's health. Who are you saying we about? Well, we'll find out in a second. Oh, okay, sorry. Just I can't speak English today. Um, and the first book is all about contraception. Mm-hmm. So going through, um, you know, different types of contraception, how effective that is, each and every one of them, what they do, how they work, and just really giving people the facts. We wanted to do that. Or, yes. Well, again. we have touched upon that in um, yes. episodes of the Wellness Collective before, but it's pretty cool to have it all in the one place because well, then, I feel like yeah. it's... There's, there's, you know, your um, hormone-based yes, devices. Hormones, yes. yes, and then there's like the non-hormone-based yes. devices. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. then there's your uh, methods without any um, additions. That's right. A little Monit- bit of monitoring understanding what's of your body. Mm. And so, yeah. But then we also talk about um, different effects that they might have on your body. I don't think that that information is no. served up when you're prescribed something. Always. Not often. No. And then also what you can do to support your body should you choose to remain on birth control uh-huh. or come off or reasons why you might be taking it. Like, it's all there. Well, I think, yeah. too, it's also about a lot of what we talk about, which I love, is about just trying to give people the information so yeah. they can make the decision yeah. themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, I feel really honoured to be able to create the resource and that was done alongside today's guest. Uh-huh. Okay, come on. He's been hanging, hanging on the telephone. I am very excited to invite our guest on the show. It's not often we get two authors in the same place and two experts that are, well, what's the word? Uh, symbiotic, Maybe. perhaps? Yeah. So welcome, Dr. Sean. To the Wellness Collective hello. once again. Oh, hello. There you are I'm in America. I say once again because it's the second time we've had Sean on the show and that's because... I he's, know, it's wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's got the brains. <laughs> and he's actually quite funny. <laughs> and you just spent some time together in the States, yes, didn't you? Yes, we have. Got this lovely jaunt where you get to go over to America and hang out with a bunch of people that all share your passions. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, yes, so Sean's already been on the show and the first time we had him on, we basically picked his brains about fibroids and women's health in general and mm-hmm. you can go back and check out that episode in Series 1. Yes. But today we do really want to talk about not only this book but there's some other things that we really want to pick his brain apart. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Hope you're okay. <laughs> um, and really dive into that. But, you know, Cecilia, I feel like you might need to run this first part because it's a bit hard for me to ask questions and answer them at the same time. Okay, rightio. All right, so you two have got together and you've written this book. How long did it take you to um, come up with the idea and then make it come together? I think the idea was pretty, like you said, I think it's pretty symbiotic. We tend to, believe it or not, argue on occasion, Matt and I, with the... <laughs> the difference of opinions, not badly, but um, just, and it seemed like a few of our disagreements were on just different types of birth control methods. Uh, I think coming at it from a Chinese medicine standpoint versus the Western medical model, you know, we tend to prescribe things much more frequently. And 
as you could imagine, uh, Nat usually wins those arguments. <laughs> so um, what we decided was, let's do a book where we kind of have my view, her view, and then towards the end of each section, we kind of blend them together and come up with something good. What did you actually come up with then as the best form of contraception if you went through all of the types to go through this book and you brought all your research together? You, you've just said you had quite a few arguments. Could you decide you on know, the best form? Sean has a theory. Honestly, I don't. I think what we, what we kind of came up with is that really the best form... Uh, is really what the woman is looking for. And, and everybody in their different stages of life, and I, I think about my 15-year-old uh, when she was 15, and my goal as a dad was to just not have a grandchild. <laughs> and, and I knew my daughter, and I, I just knew that, you know, something like a fertility awareness method or something more natural wasn't going to work for her because she wasn't that aware of her body and she wasn't that involved. And she really wanted, you know, something to quote unquote control her period, which was not what she wanted, but she was going to be sexually active. And so I wanted something that was easy for her to use. And obviously, you know, risks involved are going to be there, but I think it's just, you know, and, and then what's going to be better for someone that's 46, you know I mean? So there's, there's different methods and that there's reasons why there are different methods. In the book, however... Sean does tell us his preferred form of contraception. Oh, right. What is it? The best form of female birth control, and I say this all the time, is a vasectomy. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) No, but having that support for um, your partner to go ahead with a vasectomy isn't always as straightforward as something taking control of it yourself. I'll just say you slip him a little Mickey when he goes to bed at night and you do it yourself. Gosh. Oh my gosh. I no, but it. I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion to have because I know a lot of women, and mm. I'll say this in the clinic, they will say, oh no, he would never do that. I know that how many, you're nodding your head too. Yes, like, I'm nodding my head. Yeah, it, it, it weighs in heavy on the female. It's always our responsibility, or not always, but the majority of the time it's mm-hmm. our responsibility to make sure that we don't fall pregnant. And that's kind of the conversation we wanted to open up as well is that how is that fair? Well, there's the fairness issue, but of course, I actually met a woman the other day who told me she had three children and after her third child, she said to her husband, right, that's it, we're not having any more, I want you to go and have a vasectomy. So we did and I was like, well, that was, that's an impressive uh, conversation that you've just had and there he went, he went and did it, but six months down the track, oh, she no. turned around and she said, you know what, I'm actually not done, you need to go and get that oh, reversed because I want to have a fourth oh, child. Oh my God. So off he went. He got it reversed and they had their fourth child. Really? And wow. I just thought, but that's a lot of um, expectation to put on somebody else. I yeah. think this idea of taking control of um, your birth control methods for yourself as a woman, I mean, that's, that's not relying on someone else. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's why a lot of women would also want to take that control themselves, don't mm. you think? Yeah, I guess so. I guess. We can't have our cake and eat it too. She <laughs> exactly. did. Exactly. <laughs> she did. I was like, oh, my goodness, I would love to meet your husband. Um, did you argue very much? You uh, hinted to the fact that you disagreed because you came from different areas, but I would have thought there's quite a lot of crossover in what you both believe, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't know, some would say evolved, others would probably say de-evolved, but um, depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> but I think, you know, over the years, I've, I've become obviously more open and holistic to different things. And 
I think what that what that really means uh, for me as a practitioner is just being open to the possibilities. And I would be the first to admit I I don't know much about the fertility awareness method just because of what I do for a living mm-hmm. in this country. But I will tell you that learning more about the the daisy and 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 you know, ovulation predict you know those types of devices and how accurate they are. I'm I'm really having a a monumental shift in the way that I think if I can get women to be able to afford those and, and use them, I think they're wonderful. There's also an e-course called Debunking Ovulation, in case anyone's interested. There we go. <laughs> Matt just wants to put in a little ad- advertisement for but a- No, but truthfully, I think that happened for both of us because I only see the women in my clinic who have problems with contraception. Mm-hmm. I don't have anyone bust in the door going, I love my marina so much. I'm, you know, this mm-hmm. has taken my life to new heights. And so I think just being reminded that not everybody is in that position by writing this. Sean kept reminding me it works for people. People are happily using this. There's not necessarily No, it's always, not everybody. That's no, right. but I think, like I said, I become a little bit bitter and twisted with what I see all the time mm. and I get quite angry with the fact that there is a lack of follow-up, that, you know, people aren't being checked always, not all doctors, but, you know, there are definitely, and because we're not always at our doctor like we once were. So, you But know, I think it's that assumption that, you know, it works for a lot of people, so off you go and use that and it should be fine. But if you're the one or two people in a hundred or what have you, hmm. whatever the numbers are, that it isn't fine, well, the numbers then you think the there's something <laughs> wrong with you. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think, yeah, I think both of us were, both of us had to soften slightly around our views. And I think that's been a really good thing. And I think as a practitioner, I think that's a really great thing because um, you have a, you know, there's this just different approach, well, diff- I guess. Yeah. An appreciation that yeah. there is a different way of looking mm. at it. I think sometimes though, being on the other side of the uh, doctor equation as the patient, you know, you you can be stuck in that situation where you trust the doctor or the practitioner, whoever it is, to tell you what they believe and, and unless you want to get a second opinion and you want to go to the other side of, you know, a an, an natural approach or what have you, whatever the opposite is, you're not going to get that combined information unless you do get a holistic approach like this. So I think from that perspective, you guys have done something quite incredible. So thank you. You're welcome. On behalf of all women everywhere. You're welcome. Now, did you learn something that you didn't already know when you were writing this book? Well, me personally, I, I like I said, I, and, and I joke about this all the time with Matt because I, you know, fertility awareness is something that is not you know, huge, at least at a doctor's office. Like uh, we don't sit down and talk to patients about how to do that because it's something that other more holistic type practitioners do. And and what is it that I still call it now from like 50 years Natural ago? Natural family planning. Natural family planning. The That's Billings right. method. It's called yeah. fertility awareness. <laughs> <laughs> it drives me crazy because I feel like that's something that we got taught in high school. I'm like, come on, we've moved past that now. Well, it is natural family planning, I know, isn't it? It is, it is, but it's not. It's, and, it, you know, we did, you know, have people comment as we've shared this about how uh-huh. effective and we've got it wrong. And there's so many different ideas about how effective natural family planning or fertility awareness <laughs> is. Um, Until but, it isn't. But I do love that Sean has been opened up to the possibility it's not even that, though. Correct me, Sean, if I'm wrong. It's also about a woman being able to understand her body. Well, it's, what's funny is you see women, you know, I see women all day long, and, you know, I'll just be perfectly blunt. And my, my daughter, when she was younger, was the same way. You know, everybody now is, is shaved and they have piercings and they have all these things that they do down there 
but they don't know anything about what happens down there. <laughs> and if you, if you say to them, oh, you need to, you know, if you're going to use a Nubarine, you actually have to put your finger in there to get it. And they go, ooh, that's disgusting. And I'm like, well, that's your body. And, and I would say that, you know, for young girls especially, they, they will do all this, you know, grooming and whatnot down there, but they don't know anything about their anatomy. And one thing that happens constantly is everybody calls it a vagina. Nobody ever says the word vulva. It's always <laughs> vagina. But the vagina is actually on the inside. You know, it's just like, and we do it all the time. But I just think there's this somewhat, still, even now, there's a taboo about, you know, knowing what's going on in there. And it's just I kind of out of sight, out of mind. And I think that it's still not really open discussion, even with parents and children. That is interesting that you say that, because I have a daughter, and I, for a long time, have referred to her private parts as front bum and back bum <laughs> but mm-hmm. and partly that is because I don't want to give it the incorrect terminology because if you say your vagina well that's not technically what's going on if well, you're doing I a wee it's not out of your vagina is, and then it gets confusing and I don't want to cause that confusion so it's, I think in America it is now called officially a hoo-ha <laughs> or a vajayjay <laughs> yeah so it, it's, it's, it's changing it's changing. Yeah, good. One, one step at a we time we didn't use that terminology in our book that's a shame because people would have known what you were talking about wouldn't yeah, they, they? Would. that's yeah, the funny part the hoo-ha. my 22 year old when he was in kindergarten I, I visited the school and uh, I was in my scrub, so the kids were asking me questions, and, and, you know, my son raises his hand. And I said, yeah, Hunter. And he goes, hey, Dad, remember when you told me that girls had vaginas? <laughs> and that was his question. And I was like, yep, I remember that. Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's, the teacher was like, well, let's move on from here. And it was, But it was pretty funny because, you know, at my house, that was just conversation, you know. But that's true. I mean, why, why shouldn't it be conversation? It is quite funny because the more that you make it taboo, the, the more you will have teenagers coming to you going, oh, I'm not going to, yes. you know, do that. It's, mm. it's, it's weird. We're weird, aren't we, people? So while you were um, going through this list of contraceptive devices that are available and methods, what was the biggest issue you see with hormone contraceptives? Because, of course, Nat has a bit of a bugbear with hormone, synthetic hormone-based, I should see the face she's pulling, uh, <laughs> contraceptives. But, what you know, what came out of your research together? Well, I think what the main discussion was not that contraceptives themselves are bad, but what happens is we tend to use contraceptions, especially as physicians, but not for contraception. So we're using them for polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis or irregular periods, but we're not, we're just covering up the problem. So I think what, what was the, the good part of the discussion and what came out of it was that contraception is one thing, but a 48, 49-year-old woman who's being prescribed contraceptive medication that has risks, you know, blood clots and things like that, that she's using it for something other than contraception, but it's really just masking the problem. And I, you know, that was kind of eye-opening for me having that discussion because the knee-jerk reflex for most OBGYNs with a woman that has polycystic ovarian syndrome is to give her birth control pills, but we're just covering the thing up. We're not actually fixing anything, but it happens all the time. Do you think that's an awareness thing, though, recently? You know, getting back to the idea of what's causing the problem and fixing that rather than just masking it seems to be, I know this sounds silly, but a new idea. It's very well, times I don't medicine. Even think it's, it, I don't even think it's really caught on yet, at least with my colleagues. Uh, it's still 
pretty rampant to just prescribe those medications for, you know, I can't tell you, I had a 52-year-old um, already today, it's Monday, and uh, she was on birth control pills because she was perimenopausal two years ago, and they just put her on birth control pills to keep her having a regular period, and which isn't actually a period, it's just a withdrawal bleed, obviously, and so she's still on them. And she's like, am I even in menopause? And I said, well, how are we going to know if you're taking birth control pills? So mm. um, we're weaning her down off of those to see where her body's at. And I, it's, But it's pretty common. Again, comes down to control, though, isn't it? I think that's part of the well, issue that we have. people want the quick fix. They're like, I want no, the pill. We want to control so much of what happens in our life, and this is just one aspect of it. Mm, unfortunately. The thing is, and I think what Matt and I talk about in the book is, is the, the reason for the book is it's not huge. It's a, you know 80 pages, 85 pages. But if you have the opportunity to read through it before you have your 10 or 15 minute appointment with your doctor, then you kind of have an awareness of what you're going into. But if you're just told in those 10 or 15 minutes, like this is your option, then Mm. that's probably what you're going to choose. So it's, it's a little bit of, you know, doctor patient relationship and trusting your physician or trusting your provider and, and going with what they say. And, and, you know, it's the same with IUDs. We use IUDs especially the Mirena, all the time for heavy periods um, because the progesterone and the IUD will cut down on the amount of flow that you have, but we're not fixing anything. And as a matter of fact, we're inserting a foreign body in, into the uterus, which may make things worse, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty rampant still. The other thing that we get to talk about is having that conversation, um, you know, with your doctor. So we talk about this in the book um, you know, it's not an easy thing to always do. We can feel really confronted when we go to our GP or our gynecologist or whoever we're having these conversations with. And we're not wanting to challenge them, but sometimes we just need to ask the question, what are my options or what else is there? And we don't often do that because we're not informed and we don't feel empowered or we feel inferior or we're not, a, you know, we haven't studied it great lengths ourselves. So, you know, we talk through that as well in the book is mm. to how do we have those conversations without it being, you know, who knows better or it's not about that. It's, it actually comes down to what's right for you. And also I think maybe by reading it and being more informed, it might give you the opportunity to know what feels right for you, like what sounds right. I know um, I went through this a few years ago and, you know, a few of the options that were put on the table for me, I was like, nah, nah, I do not like the sound of that. I'm not going there. But this one, yeah, that sounds okay. So let's give that a go. So if you don't, like you say, if you don't walk into the office knowing what any of the options might be, you probably just accept the one that's just given. Yeah, mm. absolutely. One of the uh, the big things that we uh, talk about a lot on the Wellness Collective podcast is um, the pill and the long-term effect of being on it and how, like you say, a lot of women can be on it to mask other issues and stuff. But what do we know about actually being on the pill for a long time? Well, that was an educational piece for me as a, as a doctor was, I mean, I know the bad side effects like deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism and stroke and, and things like that that can happen. And those are obviously rare instances. And if you ever open the package insert from a you know, package of birth control pills, you probably never take them uh, when you see what, what could potentially happen. But I think the more common things that I was kind of unaware of that, that I learned through talking with Dr. Kringudis is um, <laughs> the mineral and vitamin deficiencies that can occur from long-term pill usage. And I, I just, that's not something I really routinely think about. And, you know, you're putting young girls on these things and, um, you know, you have, you know, decreased libido 
um, with these young girls. Which you is ironic, right? Well, it, that's maybe one of the ways why it works. Um, <laughs> they don't want to have sex, which not a problem when with my 15-year-old. I would have gladly taken that. Um, but but if I'd have known as a father that, you know, we were going to have to check magnesium and, and all her electrolytes, I would have I would have done that. But I, I didn't know, and here I am, a physician. So mm. uh, that was a pretty eye-opening thing for me. So what do you do now to support people who are on birth control? Well, actually, now for me, um, I'm, I'm obviously a, a different person now just as a practitioner. I usually will uh, have supplements that I recommend for, for women like that, like magnesium, like a good multivitamin, and even now some, some good anti-inflammatory things like curcumin, turmeric, rosemary, uh, just a lot of different things. And the problem is, though, you know, it's, you're adding things for this, poor person that they have to take in addition to now this other pill they're taking and while they're natural supplements whatever it's it's you know it's still but it is support like you said and that's a good word because that's Mm. what it is it's support absolutely we do go through a whole heap of other things in the book that um help to support people should they remain on it or if they want to come off it so um it's like we said it's a really easy read and something we want to be accessible for everyone which is why it's not an expensive read Mm. um Whilst we were writing the book, um, the whole Ashore yes, um, there's a class scandal happening yes, in Australia, came to light. What um, we probably should do before we dig into that, though, is just have a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk more about that. In this episode of The Wellness Collective, we are talking about contraception and all the options that are in play because you and our special guest, Dr. Sean Tassone, they uh, got together and they've written this book. I'm going to say a little book. It's an e-book at the moment, isn't it? No, it's actually available in paperback on Amazon. Oh, um, really? Yes. Oh, that's so good too because I love a paper book because it's yeah. much better to snuggle up in bed with a paper book mm-hmm. than an e-book in my mm-hmm. humble opinion. But We've before, got you. Don't before worry. we took a break, we were discussing a whole bunch of stuff around contraception, but... Um, the eShore, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a contraceptive device which we talked about with Dr. Sean last time, way back in the uh, in the dark ages when we spoke to you. But <laughs> since it was episode then, four or five, yeah, since then there's been a lot of uh, talk about you know what's really going on with this form of contraception. And here in Australia, um, there's been a class action filed. Uh, on behalf of a lot of women who had these contraceptive devices implanted. And then there's been a lot of um, problems since then. Can you um, tell us what your experience is with it? Well, I Esher came out in 2002 in the United States. And about three weeks ago on a Friday, Bayer announced that they were going to be removing it from the market in December of this year. And it's we're the only country where you can still actually place it. It's been pulled from the market in every other country. And actually, the first country in the world was Australia that uh, pulled it off the market. And um, that was one of my first forays actually into this was I had removed a few uh, in about 2014. And the the TV show from Australia Sunday, I think is what it's Mm, called, um, actually flew out here. Uh, and interviewed me because there was one woman named Nina who was from Australia that was suing uh, the company for the product. And um, that was kind of an an interesting foray into it. And it's kind of coming full circle because here I'm talking to you guys right now. But um, what I have seen in the last four years, now I've removed 
over 500 sets of ishers and most of the women you know it's obvious things because the foreign body it's made with um, nickel and titanium and stainless steel and polyethyltrephalate fibers which is an endocrine disrupting agent or basically polyester fibers and they cause inflammation and that's how it works so so where is it actually inserted in case anyone isn't sure what the ishore is sure not sure about the ishore (laughs) yeah it goes in it goes in through the vagina up into the cervix and into the fallopian tubes and it scars shut the tube over a three-month period by causing inflammation and what happens is obviously pain because it's a foreign body so a lot of women will complain about pain um, the second most common thing are just really weird, heavy, irregular uterine bleeding episodes. But some of the other things that are really interesting about it is other than those two, which you go, yeah, I can totally see where that would happen. I'm seeing lots of migraines. I'm seeing uh, weight gain. Uh, I do hormone checks on everybody. 95% of them are estrogen dominant, um, where there's just way too much estrogen and no progesterone in their body. Um, I'm seeing uh, autoimmune disorders like Hashimoto's and rheumatoid arthritis. And um, a lot of these symptoms aren't starting for about two to three years on average. There's a lot of things that women aren't, you know, chronic fatigue that could be attributed to a lot of other things. But now that I've done five or 600 removals, I can tell you that I see miraculous things. I mean, I have kids texting me, thank you for giving me my mother back. Um, just like life-changing things. I had one woman who was on five rheumatoid uh, arthritis medications. We took the coils out, and within three weeks, she was down to one. Um, and if you told a man, I always say this, but if you told a man, we have this metal coil, and we're going to put it into your testicle, and the sole purpose of this coil is to cause inflammation, um, you think that guys would get their foot in? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good not test. Not in a million years. Yeah. Not in a million years. Or if he came into your office and he said, oh, man, doc, I got that coil in and it hurts. It really hurts. And if you touched it and he, he said, ouch, you'd say, oh, well, we need to get that out of there. But with women, you don't see their fallopian tubes. You can't feel them. You can't do feel them on an exam. So we just kind of stay out of sight, out of mind. And really where I think we're failing right now is recognizing that they're causing problems. It's interesting that you bring that up because um, there was there's a book out at the moment and Nat has interviewed the author in her other podcast. Um, and it's it talks about the idea that women are treated differently in a medical setting, that their pain is treated differently to that of men and that quite often they're not taken as seriously when they say that they're in pain and they are left for longer and things like that. They wait 16 minutes longer on average for pain relief. Isn't that interesting? So considering you work with women predominantly, what do you think about that? So there's inter- it's interesting. So I'm also obviously a male in a female profession. And um, it's funny because I always am of the thought process, if you tell me it hurts, I believe you. And whereas some women, and I will say this to support my, my gender, is that I think it can backfire at times because... If a woman goes to, a, and I'm not saying this happens with female providers, but this is a, a for instance, if you're a female provider and you have really normal periods and you've never experienced pelvic pain and somebody comes to you and says, oh, it hurts, you might kind of brush that off. Or if you had really bad periods, you might say, oh, you think you have bad periods. Look, my <laughs> periods are really bad. Um, and I'm just like, I'm, maybe I'm dumb, but if you come in and say, hey, I got this metal coil put in my body and it hurts, I'm like, Oh, uh, okay. You know, it, I, I, I get that. I understand it. But 
I do think if you look at, and I think your guests might have even talked about this, if I remember the episode, where most of the studies aren't even done on women. And there was a medicine that came out two years ago called Adi, it's A-D-D-Y-I, for, uh, it's kind of like the female Viagra. Um, and what's fascinating about it is the studies on the medication for female Viagra were all done on men. There no were no women way. in the study. Yeah, look it up. There were no women in the study for female uh, <laughs> you know, libido. It was all men. But it I think, isn't that because women are more difficult to actually monitor because there's more to deal with? Like, like you don't get yeah. an erection. Well, no, but we've got a lot more going on. We've got a lot more hormones to consider. Mm. So they haven't, they don't test necessarily on a woman. They test on a man, even you though it's irrelevant. You can't test a drug for females on males, though, surely. That, no. I mean, that's absurd. That one did. They, that's what they did. I mean, that's why I never prescribed it because I look at the data and I'm like, well, how the heck could I even know what this is? It doesn't even work. It's like you did it on guys. I mean, so but yeah. Was, Sean says that, he, you know, he takes someone seriously when they say that they're in pain. Yeah. I have to say, though, I feel like Sean's a minority. I know when I go to, to the doctor mm. or have in the past, not all doctors, obviously, but and I always say this about him, it's kind of like some, where his strength lies is the fact that he's compassionate, but not... I feel like when often when you're in that that environment, and you see the same thing all the time. You become immune to it because you're like, oh gosh, well, whatever, can, you yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. That's the way I see it. Well, there you go. I think she's patting you on the back there. If you come in, I guess in the case of Esher or an, an IUD, say, and somebody comes in and says, "I have pain." Since this was put in my body, it's been getting much, much worse. Uh, you know, two plus two equals four. It's not a real stretch for a physician to put those two things together, mm. but we we don't. And mm. I think it's because with the case of Esher, honestly, um, there's no great way to remove them short of a hysterectomy. And, you know, over the years, I've developed a procedure to remove them, but nobody wants to do a hysterectomy on a 29-year-old woman, you know? So, I think what happens is, as a doctor, you try to, you know, you might just say, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe we should wait three months, let's try birth control right. pills or whatever, because they don't know what else to do. And um, I don't think it's necessarily that they might be blowing the woman off, like, on purpose, and that does happen, I'm sure. But um, I do think it's just, like, it's kind of this lack of what to do more than anything. So, Sean, at what point did you actually decide that, hang on a minute, this is actually not working? Like, I've, I've fitted these devices to women. Obviously, they were coming back to you and saying, I'm in pain. You were like, what the heck? And maybe after a while, there was many. So, you had to actually go, hang on, there's something more going on here. At what point did that happen? And then I know that you obviously have come up with a way of removing them. But now you really are a spokesperson for this. Well, what's funny is in 2006... I started putting them in because it sounded like a good idea, even though I just said it sounded <laughs> stupid. But it did because we didn't have to cut on the belly. We didn't have to do abdominal surgery. And so I put in probably 100, give or take, over my career. And what happened is in 2013, I put one in. And uh, a couple of months later, three months, four months later, I got a phone call from this doctor in Virginia, which is hundreds of miles away. And um, he said, hey, I wanted to let you know this lady that you put the seizure in wound up getting pregnant. And I was like, wow, I've never had a patient get pregnant before that I knew of. And so I started looking on the Internet because that was the only place I could go. No studies, nothing. But there was a, uh, a Facebook page called Esher Problems. And uh, there were 3,000 women on the page. So I thought, well, let me see if I can join. 
And I joined, and they were all excited to have me there, but then I was kind of, believe it or not, I was a bit of a jerk. And um, I wasn't really buying into it. I was like, there's no way I could do this. And thankfully, they didn't kick me off. I think they were pretty close at one time. But I started seeing these patterns, and they were being really sincere and, you know, tears. And, and so I just decided I had a couple patients contact me in 2014, and I started taking them out. And I just started seeing these massive, like, alter. I mean, I had a lady who had a rash, a whole body rash for three years after wow. she got the coilless place. Biopsies at dermatologists, multiple medications, six dermatologists. Nobody could figure it out. I took the coils out, and I'm not kidding you. I went around on her 14 hours later, and it was almost gone. So that, to me, is, you talked earlier about, you know, one person. You know, does it, you know what's the end of one or that one patient? Well, it doesn't matter to me. If one person feels that much better from me just taking these coils out, that's why I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing, right? I mean, that's, I help people, but I'm seeing it hundreds and hundreds of times over now. I think um, it's so interesting with all the people that we've spoken to throughout this series. Uh, and we, we did speak to um, Mel who had some breast implants removed and exactly the same thing had happened. She, when she had them implanted very soon after she got sick and she was going to doctors and she couldn't, no one could put their finger on what was actually wrong. But, you know, in, in hindsight, it was her body saying, I don't want this in here. Mm. And it's so basic. And, and even at the time when we were chatting with her, Nat was saying, I don't ask patients when they come in, new patients, if they have any implants in their body. And maybe that's a question that needs to be actually like a standard question so that that can be ruled out as one of the problems, especially for these autoimmune issues that, that come up and like the rash. I mean, imagine living with a rash for three years that you didn't have well, to... the rest of your life, potentially, if you didn't take <laughs> exactly. them out. Like, yeah. It's fascinating because, it's, it's, like you say, it seems so straightforward, yet it's something that we've just missed for such a long time. Well, the doctors miss it, but the patient literally comes in and says, this rash started after I had these coils placed. Mm. I mean, she's telling you, this is when it started, and yet nobody would, they just wouldn't put two and two together, or because, like I said, they didn't know how to get them out, so they would just say, well, let's try on some steroids, let's try all these other medications. Because who wants to do surgery if you don't have to? Yeah. But, and I'm, I'm really interested in the case that's moving forward because our FDA, our Federal Drug Administration here, gave the company that invented it called Conceptus a waiver, meaning uh, they can't be sued here in this country for that. They can't have a class action lawsuit. There's only two times in the history of our FDA where that's ever happened. The other device was a cardiac stent that they needed to rush through to save lives and then something for tubal ligations. Do you understand that? Yeah. I really still don't. And it's all tied to money, mm. I'm sure. It's tied to business. So um, it's really fascinating, you know, the whole history of it. But I'm really interested to see how this progresses in, in Australia. So for women who are wanting to have their devices removed or the coils removed, what do they need to look for? Because obviously, especially here, you're not here. But I mean, what do they, you know, how can we help them, empower them to be able to ask the right questions to their doctor and for it to be removed in a way that isn't going to cause long-term issues? I have a private Facebook page. It's my last name, so it's Tassone, T-A-S-S-O-N-E, Method, M-E-T-H-O-D. If they just type in Tassone Method, it'll come up and um, they can join. And on there, uh, I talk about what to talk about with your doctor because what I'm seeing now are a lot of patients are going in and they're wanting removals. 
and the doctors are saying they can do it, you know, short of a hysterectomy, they, they'll cut the tubes off, they'll cut the tube open, pull the coil out. And what I'm seeing now is a bunch of women that are having bad removals. Like their pieces are breaking, pieces are winding up in other parts of the body because they're not being removed appropriately. Any GYN can do a hysterectomy and get them out. That's pretty easy to do. But to actually just remove the tubes uh, and the coils is, is a little bit more difficult. So if they come to my page, I can actually, I have a eSure patient bill of rights. Uh, it's got 23 things on there that you should look for. Um, so I, you know, I have all that stuff if they want to come by and check it out. Oh, what a great resource. And also Thank follow you. Sean on Instagram because he puts stuff on his Insta stories all the time. That's My bill of rights actually goes up on Instagram about once or twice a week. There you I go. But the stories are particularly yeah. awesome because you can, you know, especially for someone who's going through that, I think that there's a lot of information. Well, and, and on those, uh, in my Facebook page, I also do a Facebook Live every Thursday from the operating room and I will cool. uh, show pictures sometimes of coils poking through tubes Maybe and, not so cool. um, and talk about awesome. removals and stuff like that. And those seem to be pretty popular because even the women that have had them removed, the great thing about that group is that the women that have had them removed really support women that are looking for answers. And sometimes those those women uh, know, know more about it than I do because mm. they've been suffering they've for it. so long. Mm. And they've been through so many things and they can help the other women also find resources. I know we're out of time, but I actually love that you've just said that because how often do we not feel like we know enough and we trust our doctor? But, and I love the fact that you've just said that because you can't know everything about everybody or how they feel at, at any stage. So it's important to have that communication between you and your healthcare professional, definitely. Hmm. I agree. <laughs> Dr. Sean Tassoon, thank you for being with us in the Wellness Collective once again. And I think you might be an honorary member. What Maybe. do you think? You know, you are the probably the number one ticket holder of the collective. Oh, we'll give him that. I think maybe we could get you a well, T-shirt. I do have a, I do have a pretty good ac- uh, Australian accent now, too. Yeah, he does. So. Go on, give us it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, no, I just, whenever I talk to Matt, like if she comes out here and I spend three or four days with her, I, I end up actually just speaking with that accent for the whole time that she's here. My staff loves her. Like my front office girl, like I just love her. I follow her on Instagram. I could just listen to her talk all day. I just, it's my superpower. I just, you just get to be an Australian in an American world. It's and it's excellent. Yes, it's excellent. <laughs> all right. Well, can you. So if I come out there, will people want to listen to me talk? Absolutely. Yes. It will okay. be exactly the same in reverse. Okay. okay. Well, before you go, can you please say goodbye to everybody in your best Australian accent? Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you so much. Talk to you later, mate. No worries. There you go. No worries. <laughs> so how do we get a copy of this book? Oh, that's on Amazon. It's called Contraception Deception. Make sure when you search it, there's a couple of similar titles. Oh, yep. Um, but look for Sean and my name uh-huh. and that you'll know that you're on the right one. And it's also $1.99. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> bargain. I mean, come um, on. Information so at bargain prices. Or the prices. paperback's four ninety nine if you really want to lash out and treat yourself. Ooh, sounds good too. But that's the sort of thing you can curl up in bed, like you said, or in yep. the bath, yep. you know, take a read. Be empowered. The whole point is that we're not you know, there to preach it. We're there to just give information that's truthful um, and honest and, yeah, Excellent. All, all right, until next time, we hope this episode particularly has left you feeling a little bit healthier, happier and better. Bye, Dr Sean. Bye. 